Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Recorded live. I hope my audio is okay. I've got the best head system I could find in the house. I'm waiting to uh, for Peter Eric Hendrickson to uh, join me. He's the uh, author of Cracking the Code, Fascinating Truth About Taxation in America. Also, LostHorizons.com. Very informative, LostHorizons.com debugs the uh, myths that uh, keep being uh, proposed or Put out there by the mainstream media and the tax uh, CPAs and you know those who uh, make a profit all the uh, ignorance tax or the uh, excise tax, if you will. He's a very smart, uh, smart fella. Some people have issues with him because he maybe doesn't want to uh, do a whole lot of battling in court or doesn't know how. But uh, the man is a genius, in my opinion. He's got it all parsed out. Applying some of these techniques or really enforcing your beliefs is a uh, whole different level, so I'm going to get a little uh, dead airspace here. It's uh, all the way for him to join. But in the meantime, it's uh, Lost Horizons, L-O-S-T-H-O-R-I-Z-O-N-S dot com. One word, LostHorizons.com. <clears throat> up at the top, you'll see, a, I think it's up at the top, you'll see a, a box for the news, search, or whatever. Uh, any topic or any number or, or code or whatever you uh, can question that, that he's parsed out over the years, if you hit the search box, the little box that come up, you type in a word or a term or sometimes a paragraph, some numbers, and uh, whatever you want to search is usually covered on his uh, site. One of the most uh, informative sites I have seen. So I'm going to Take a quick break here, leave the recording going, and uh, I'll be listening on the phone when somebody pops on. Uh, looks like we got Peter on the line. Peter, you should be unmuted here shortly. Uh, how's the audio now? Hey, Joseph, how you doing? Uh, sounds good. Okay. Yeah, and uh, maybe it was the Wi-Fi calling. I got so many options today; it's uh, not simple like it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Now you were telling a story about a 
uh, being straight, uh, a gear stick. Well, yeah, yeah. My son is looking for a new uh, to replace his truck, and he's uh, he's been driving an automatic transmission uh, all of his young life, and uh, never had occasion to learn a stick, uh, but has an option to uh, to replace with a, a manual transmission at a at a better price than the alternatives uh, that he's able to, to see right now, uh, but um, is issuing the the manual uh, just I think out of concern that, that it's just going to be too much of a demand on his uh, on his driving practices uh, uh, using the vehicle for work, which involves an awful lot of driving around the city in the city. And I'm just trying to, to reassure him that this isn't the case. The, the stick, you know, becomes so reflexive that you don't even notice it, um, whether you're driving in the city or not and using it, you know, relatively frequently or not. And, and uh, in any case, it's a it's a definitely a sound option. In fact, <clears throat> I think it's the better option. It's a it's more powerful transmission. It's better on gas. Uh, it's faster uh, in the driving and uh, a whole lot more. It's quite possible. You know, quite possibly it could be safer. And possibly safer too. But you know, it's all uh, it's all a matter of individual preference. And and I think that he's I think he's going to stick with the auto. And 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 that's that's fine. I all my life I have switched back and forth. Uh, every other vehicle has been manual, and uh, and every other vehicle has been automatic. And I, I have to confess that, that the large part of the reason for that is because after driving a, a manual transmission until it's time to retire that vehicle, uh, I am at that point um, weary of the uh, of the uh, you know what little bit of inconvenience it does represent, and switching to an automatic is is uh, something I look forward to for a little while until I start lusting for the fun of that manual transmission again, and then uh, then the next vehicle goes manual. So, what, what is it? Is this your more sophisticated way of keeping him, uh, you know, getting onto your son, and make him a man? <laughs> well, you know, my boy is all man, and he's he's he doesn't need any help in that regard. But but uh, but I do uh, I do think that uh, that everybody ought to know how to drive a manual transmission. And, yeah. Absolutely, I th- I think as you'll see over the years of indoctrination since the '40s, uh, you know they they have <clears throat> there are experts out there, psychologists, sociologists, psychopaths, whatever that do studies on people people's behavior, and you always want to do something with your hands. Mm-hmm. So I think a stick shift would uh, could be uh, safer in today's world because you're always wanting to do something with your hands while you're going, whether it's look at a phone. Play with the radio. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. right. I hadn't yeah. thought of it yeah. that way, Joe. That's uh, that's that's a very good point. It uh, it gives you a, a, a different demand that is a safer demand. Yeah. Now his his response uh, to me, by the way, before heading out the door uh, to the dealership to take a look at his options, uh, was that uh, that uh, he'll he'll put he'll he'll get the manual transmission in the sports car when he's ready to buy a sports car. And, uh, with the rag top. That'll be the more appropriate uh, uh, place for that uh, stick shift and. And you know he's got, he does have a point about that too. So <laughs> yeah, it looks like yeah, you two are the only ones. Uh, the two of us are the only ones on, but that's fine. It, it can be recorded and posted uh, for a later convenience. It seems like nobody's people get disinterested unless it's some kind of uh, something that takes no thinking whatsoever. Like uh, just write a letter. I'm a man. You have no right to do this, but. Uh, <clears throat> Seems nobody wants to join anymore, but of course I didn't put proper uh, notice up. Yeah, that makes a big it's, difference. People have to know in advance and, and be able to schedule the time. We are mid-afternoon here, and, and uh, you know, on a work day and all that. So, but that's okay. You know, let's talk. I'm 
I'm going to try. I'm not a radio host. I'm not established. I'm not an Alex Jones, which I just was listening to him and got a bunch of nonsense, which didn't make any sense to me. The New World Order, the reptilians, whatever he believes, is not doing a thing. And uh, I just wonder why he's never had you on his call. But I want to go back to, I believe it was 1940s, uh, was when you show the Disney characters come out in the 42s when this industrial revolution with the, yeah. I guess the uh, World War II really kicked in. And uh, I was going to ask, when was War of the Worlds is, is what I keep wanting to know. Oh, uh, that was... Um, uh, Before the 40s? The the um, the radio broadcast uh, that Orson Welles you know gained his fame for was in Have any thoughts on uh, Orson Welles? Do you have any thoughts on him? Was he an insider or just a guy playing you know, the radio? I, I, I really have never given it any thought. I think that uh, I think he was a clever um, entertainer, uh, and and uh, and he saw a unique opportunity and he took advantage of it. Uh, radio was still a relatively new thing at that point, uh, not not uh, you know immediately new, but the, the overall impact and the, the potential and the uh, tendency of people to. Um, Put faith in uh, what had a you know a, a, a cachet of um, official uh, legitimacy uh, was still um, brightly polished and and in no way tarnished. So you know if it came across the radio and it was being reported as news, uh, people bought it just the way many people still do in the case of television. Uh, yeah, either it was just a huge coincidence or it was one hell of a dry run to see what uh, people would go for. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that in his case, he he did it for the entertainment value. He saw an opportunity and um, and went that way. And I think you know perhaps other people went on, went ahead to exploit uh, what was discovered or revealed uh, by virtue of Wells' uh, experiment or or uh, uh, his his experience. Uh, but I have no reason. I have no reason to imagine Wells to have been doing anything. Um, nefarious outside of the hoax. Uh, I think it was his own hoax. Well, so some of the people that I, I talk to, we go into various discussions and we go into, uh, we take today and apply it to yesterday where everybody says if you see it on the internet, it's not true or, you know, they joke <laughs> with you. It's got to be true since it's on the internet. Well, if you go back in the 30s and 40s, if you heard it on the radio, people believed it. If you heard, yeah, saw it on TV, Absolutely. people believed it. Absolutely right. I saw uh, so, it. So it's got to be true. So, uh, you know, some of the groups I'm in, we, we're questioning the moon landing and some of this NASA and Nazi uh, scientists, you know, is it a mass deception or is it real? You know, you, so. you know it, the unfortunate reality is there is mass deception that goes on. And because there is, um, it, it engenders a, a not, um, uh, not improper uh, uh, skepticism uh, up that ends up being applied in a lot of different directions, and 
uh, again, since there are mass deceptions going on, it's hard to fault someone for deciding, you know, or, or suspecting that any given thing might be a, an example of that uh, practice. Uh, I think that that uh, you know there are a lot of things that one has to um, uh, apply some uh, rational uh, tools to uh, in order to determine the plausibility of the um, uh, uh, the hoax uh, proposition. For instance, I'll give you an example. I just uh, just today was corresponding um, with someone or receiving a correspondence from someone and replying, uh, proposing that the IRS is not a an agency of the federal government. And this is something that's been being, you know, injected into the tax honesty community for decades. Um, and as I pointed out to my correspondent, <clears throat> who had pro pro produced a uh, uh, a uh, record of incorporation of some uh, company that called itself the Internal Revenue Service uh, in uh, Delaware or or perhaps someplace else, and I, I sent them quickly a uh, the incorporation documents on a Internal Revenue Service incorporated in Nevada as well. There are a bunch of these around. Um, and none of them are the IRS, uh, which is, in fact, an agency of the Department of Treasury, which is, in fact, the Department of the United States government. Uh, but as I pointed out to my correspondent, yeah, you know, there are people who can create, you know, fake documents, or there even are real documents uh, that, that appear to, you know, suggest some issue um, with reality. Uh, but the question you should ask yourself first is, why would it be, why, why would there not be a, Department of Treasury and an Internal Revenue Service in the federal government. What would stop them from having one? Well, let me ask that, you Because that's the proposition that's being made here is that, oh, they don't have a, a, a taxing, uh, you know, or a collections and accounting agency. Let me, they don't let me have interject. One. Why would they not have one? Of course they have one. Let me, Every government let me has something. one. I mean, Michigan has one. Everybody has one. And there's nothing to stop them from having one. So the proposition that they don't have one on its face, just to begin with, is something about which everyone should be skeptical. Because it Let me interject something. Go ahead. What the terminology used? It may not. Is it, is it an actual considered an agency, or it just works with the uh, the Treasury no, it, Inspector? It, it is the agency. It's listed as an agency. I know that it is an for, agency. For, okay. for, a, for a long time, there's been this thing about uh, diversified metal products and a in a lawsuit in which the uh, the government. Respondent uh, uh, said that the IRS is not an agency, but what people don't people see things like that and they don't uh, they don't follow up and do any actual investigation, and so they don't discover that in that case the uh, issue was whether or not the uh, IRS was an agency with as as defined under a particular statutory definition, which had a limited application, and within that statutory definition the IRS didn't qualify as an agency, just as many other agencies of the government would not have qualified under that particular definition. But that doesn't mean that it isn't an agency overall, and in fact it is. Um, and in fact, on that subject, if anyone you know that ends up listening to this is, is interested, there is a uh, page on my website about this fact and that specifically addresses the Tebow and diversified metal products suit. And... Uh, uh, it, 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 and, and and also has the actual um, agency 
um, uh, documentation uh, for the IRS uh, posted along with a... Well, what's the difference between an agency and a department? Uh, an agency typically is a subdivision of a department. A department is a cabinet department, a cabinet level uh, uh, entity. Yeah, because you they're, can't they're have one man. They're all agents and agencies in a certain sense of the word, you know, in a, in a common meaning sense or a dictionary definition. Yeah, you, you can't have one man going out in all 50 states and, you know, looking at this stuff. you got to have a, uh, you know, people helping you. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, some of the stuff is, is just like I said, just an application of logic. And, and uh, again, you know, the proposition that the United States, for some reason, would be prevented from were unable to have... Uh, Are some of these theories going on the Internal Revenue Service opposed to the original Bureau of Internal Revenue? Well, that was just the original name of the organization, and and, uh, and it did get changed in the uh, 50s. And, and uh, by the way, the, the history of that uh, organization and its, uh, its uh, statutory uh, origin. Uh, by the way, are posted on the on my website, uh, uh, lostrisons.com slash tax slash misunderstandings slash map.htm. Just go to that page. You'll find a link. Uh, you'll find a link that's titled um, "The IRS is not an agency uh, fallacy." And just click. Well, on this may explain why the uh, the BATF has never changed because if they change it to IBS, it might sound like it's you know bowel syndrome or something. <laughs> but I was wondering if if they, if they change the name of the Internal Revenue or, or Bureau of Internal Revenue to IRS, the BATF has really never changed. I was wondering if they change the wording to make it more scary. Um, if they changed it to to BATF, you mean? No, from or Bureau of Internal, Internal Revenue. Revenue to change it to Internal Revenue Service to make it more misleading or just the way it was? Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I could rattle off the reason given for that change right offhand. Um, it was something done, if I remember correctly, during the Truman administration. And Truman messed with a lot of things during his few years in office. He, uh, he was a very strange uh, fellow in his uh, presidency, is a very significant and strange presidency. That's the one where we got the NSA created and the CIA created and uh, a bunch of shifts around in other executive departments, and uh, he was quite a quite an authoritarian and uh, really almost totalitarian type guy. Um, uh, so the reasons why he might have done any of those sorts of things are uh, obscure, but uh, but. Uh, uh, probably should be expected to be a little dark and uh, and uh, convoluted, so, but I can't rattle rattle off what what the reasoning was. Well, was Truman? Uh, I'm not a historian buff. <clears throat> I wasn't well educated like you are, because you know, you you got the mind. You know, each to each their own. But when we come together, there's almost nothing we can't do. A little here, you know, some has this, some has this gift, and whatever. But was Truman uh, around about the time of? Uh, World War II and the 38 uh, War of the Worlds radio uh, broadcast Truman, we were discussing. Truman was, Truman was uh, Roosevelt's last vice presidential um, partner, or you know, vice president, and and uh, um, so he took over when Roosevelt died in '45, and then was elected uh, himself for a single term uh, afterwards, and so he served from '45 uh, through uh, until the Eisenhower was elected in '52. 
so he, his period was uh, at that point. Prior to that, he had been a, um, uh, a congressman uh, and senator, I believe, uh, uh, from um, oh, where was he? So one of the Midwestern states, I can't recall right offhand. Missouri, Missouri, I think. And uh, undistinguished career uh, in every possible respect. Uh, he was probably picked for the uh, vice presidential slot because he was deemed harmless uh, to Roosevelt. Um, uh, I don't think that was done in anticipation of Roosevelt uh, passing away um, while while Truman was still there. But, uh, well, a lot of strange things happened back in the 40s, too. We started yeah, with the World of Worlds. The 40s were a very weird uh, and significant period, yes. And then that's when you get the, Ro- the, the Roswell stuff. So it, it, it is difficult for someone to go into conspiracy theories when you you know, you know get the Roswell in the 40s and they're they're trying to get more taxation for something. And uh, mm-hmm. then you get Eisenhower, one of the military-industrial complex. And I've seen videos recently of a congressman wanting special funding for all they kept saying was classified, classified, you know. So, so the, you get into UFO discussions. Uh, that's a whole deep subject. But uh, yeah, it, yeah, also, it, it seems it, like everything happened in the forties. A lot happened in the forties. Yeah, the 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 second half of the thirties and all of the forties uh, were a very very uh, strange time in American history. Well, not to mention the Nazi uh, Nazi war machine and uh, well, alleged yeah, that, Hitler's. That, that was, that was part of it too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The um, what was going on in the rest of the world was also extremely significant uh, during that period. Um, uh, the impact that it had on us, though, was transformational uh, here. Uh, most other places, it was kind of business as usual in one way or another, but in America, uh, it was transformational. That was the point during that period, the, that 15-year period. Uh, we had uh, the switch of uh, the Supreme Court um, routinely um, uh, knocking down uh, legislation that uh, that uh, was contrary to, to constitutional principles and and prescriptions uh, on a regular basis to uh, the beginning of the period that lasted um, about uh, 50 years, in which not a single congressional enactment was found to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, not one. Uh, up until 1995 in the U.S. v. Lopez case when the uh, uh, Gun-Free School Zone Act was found to be unconstitutional. Uh, uh, prior to that time, uh, for 50 years, or a little little more than 50, um, not a single enactment was found unconstitutional. Absolutely. Did you say, did you say gun-free? The, the Gun-Free Schools Act... Um, was found unconstitutional in 1995 in the case of U.S. v. Lopez. Uh, that was an enactment uh, that uh, that uh, uh, required that uh, I think it was any anything within 500 feet of a school, uh, there were, guns were not permitted. To uh, to keep it topical, uh, n- another show uh, and a couple of guests and I were discussing this back in the day. There's this uh, myth about the Internal Revenue Service and a taxation form for your gun. And what we merely described was it's part of the excise tax, possibly, because uh, when you see it in the media, they'll say the Bureau, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms does have jurisdiction over firearms, but they don't necessarily have jurisdiction over all guns. Oh, absolutely not. So firearms you, is a defined yeah. term. There you go. And we, we, I equate that with the taxation 
what I've learned from you and listening about the excise tax is uh, a gun can be a firearm, but not all firearms are guns. Or, and, well, uh, not, not all guns it's kind of confusing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And and, uh, and there, are, there are sharp distinctions, but there also is a, an additional factor of distinction, and that is the, the um, uh, territorial aspect of excise taxes uh, of that variety as well. Um, uh, the, uh, um, uh, the the application of even the the firearms excise is more limited than uh, than it appears uh, on uh, on its face. So, yeah, I, I might be all over the place because I didn't have time to take notes. But uh, I wanted to go into the 1939 since you mentioned the we mentioned the 40s and the deception going on huh? when the. Uh, the 1939 Tax Act, I believe it was. Many think that everything changed with the 30s, right? Uh, many things so, changed in the 30s, absolutely. But doesn't the header on the 1939 say this is from the 1862 version? Uh, the preamble uh, makes that specific declaration. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's very yeah. Very clearly, that it's based they clarify it's still right. it's still based on the excesses. Oh yeah, absolutely, and there's there's no question about it. The the uh, anyone uh, that that actually looks looks into the um, documentation uh, will immediately discover that the current tax is the tax enacted in 1862, uh, which is critical information to understanding the nature of the tax. Uh, if, if anyone who lets themselves be misled into imagining that the tax was was uh, born in 1913 with the 16th Amendment or any nonsense of that sort will have great difficulty understanding the actual nature of the tax, or at least will find it very easy to misunderstand the uh, true nature of the income tax. But when you do know Many. that 1862 is the birthday, uh, it, it becomes very difficult to not understand the nature of the tax once you have applied that fact to um, uh, uh, what you see going on with the tax. Uh, when you know that 1862 was the birthday, you know that the tax, the character of the tax, uh, was uh, generated uh, in a time uh, prior to any uh, any uh, misconstruable notions about apportionment or anything else. Apportionment was firmly in place and unaffected un, uh, in any way whatsoever. This is not to say that the 16th Amendment affected apportionment either, but uh, the the fact that apportionment is mentioned in the 16th Amendment causes a lot of people to misunderstand. Uh, how it applies to the income tax, or or, or how the how the amendment you know didn't actually affect the meaning of apportionment. But when you're looking at, eight, at 1862, that's 49 years before the the uh, 16th Amendment, so that isn't even a factor in your thinking. And then it becomes easy to understand that oh, the excise tax uh, was in fact a tax uh, that uh, that had to be capable of being applied without apportionment. That means that it could not be a capitation or other direct tax. And, uh, and, and, and so we know that income under the, the uh, income tax, the current tax, born in 1862, uh, 49 years prior to the 16th Amendment, um, is a tax on objects that are capable of being lawfully taxed without apportionment, regardless, irrespective of the 16th Amendment. Uh, that has never changed. The 16th Amendment didn't make a change in that fact because it wasn't necessary to make a change in, in that. We already had a tax thoroughly established at that point operating uh, within the, the parameters of the apportionment rule 
uh, with no problem at all. The only thing was yeah, now, 18, 1895 uh, Pollock, right? In 1894, uh, the tax was revived after a, a 22-year hiatus, 22-year dormancy from 18, uh, 1872, uh, and uh, in order to get at the basically the railroad barons that were uh, 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 thoroughly aggravating the American people because of taking massive um, and largely corruptly uh, supported profits out of uh, public resources in the form of the railroading for the most part, uh, and also national banks, uh, and not paying a dime uh, back into the public purse for all these private profits. Yes, um, so I wanted to ask you on that. You could argue back and <clears throat> forth as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that people should be you know, obliged to... to uh, kick back some of the, the gains into the public purse when they take money from public resources, but that's what the people in the 1890s wanted to do, and so they revived the tax, and it was uh, then uh, challenged by Pollock, uh, whose uh, bank uh, and investment company, Farmers Loan and Trust, which is now Citibank, by the way, uh, wanted to pay the tax before issuing dividends to him, and Pollock uh, said, "You can't do that because the dividends issue." as a consequence of my personal property in the form of stock, and that makes it into a property tax, and that's a direct tax that has to be apportioned. And the Supreme Court agreed with that. Oh, you better, you better believe that what we see today is nothing new under the sun. But I just want to ask you about the, uh, the uh, not the not the public, okay, uh, the, 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 the people's money. Is this just a way of uh, kind of an honor system of the uh, government keeping track of uh, the money that it, it gets and spends on whatever for the people? Um, clarify that question. I don't quite understand. When you say the people's money, you're talking about what? Well, when, the, when people receive these uh, grants and whatever, isn't it some kind of money that they've got to uh, be good shepherds over, good stewards over, so they have the system set up to keep track of what they're spending it on? Um, you mean when people get subsidies from the federal government? When like Let's say like the railroad, like Pollock, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um well, no. Back at that time, when when all of that was going on, there there wasn't. I mean, money at that point was still. You know, we had a gold and silver standard, and it was, you were as likely to be paid in gold coin as you were in anything else, and that that was the medium of exchange. Um, there were paper notes in circulation, but they were uh, typically um, gold deposit slips uh, and you know notes issued against uh, deposits of actual specie. So uh, there was no. Um, uh, record keeping on that kind of level, uh, and and there was no tax applied uh, for the most part either. In fact, I mean there was no income tax in in act you know, no active income tax for uh, almost that entire period from 1872 uh, very briefly in the mid 1890s, and then not again until 1913. So um, no, it had nothing to do with keeping track of of anything. It, uh, um, and nor nor does it now. Um, the 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 tax is used uh, improperly to uh, uh, guide people into certain kinds of behavior uh, by setting up you know deductibility of certain certain things and and uh, you know setting up structures that favor one kind of behavior over another. And and for people who are actually subject to the tax, uh, those things can be very persuasive in terms of you know controlling or dictating what people are going to do in a lot of different ways, not just with their money, but, but other choices that are going to be made. And that's a pernicious thing, but it only applies, of course, to people who are actually subject to the tax, which is not most of us. So uh, you know, as far as that goes, 
you know, one could say that it's it's a little unseemly, but it's also kind of irrelevant to most folks. Well, it also may be a way to keep their uh, government employees or people who take oaths to pay a tax or to be subject to certain things, keep them uh, maybe dignified or men of honor. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, it's a great tax. The income tax is a wonderful tax. It, it, it serves a lot of very, very useful purposes. And and one of them would be, uh, in, in fact, uh, a means of um, uh, keeping track of public. Uh, we'll call, well, who, who, who in their right mind says, yes, I'll raise my right hand, I agree to be a taxpayer? Yeah, nobody does that unless they're getting paid, um, you know, a, a, a good salary uh, to uh, do the things that are taxable. And of course, you know, everyone in public office qualifies for that, and they all have—they all actually have raised their hands and said, uh, you know, okay, I want the job. Uh, the job pays really, really well, and yes, I'm going to end up having to pay taxes uh, as a consequence, but that's a price I'm willing to pay. Um, well, I thank God for uh, Sherry Peel Jackson and uh, Joe Bannister, but uh, as you mentioned before, they didn't realize they agreed to uh, to do a thing. Yeah, that's thing true. That, yeah. No, they absolutely didn't, and it's a shame. But uh, but of course, they both have access to to the truth now, and and uh, hopefully they're making some use of it. It's hard to change them. I, since we're in the '60s, <clears throat> when all this bit really began or became solidified. 1860s, when they got it clear what it was, um, the discrepancy or the confusion with a lot of folks I'm seeing is they keep saying it was repealed, but what they're not realizing, I think that was the 1861 version. Can you elaborate on which one was repealed? 1861 was actually the initial enactment of the tax, but it was wholesale repealed and replaced in its entirety the next year with the 1862 Act, and that's the one we have today. That Act has never been repealed. There was a, a... I don't know, misinformation, disinformation, or just, just you know, poor research that had led some folks to uh, imagine that it was repealed in the 1870s, but it was not. It did go dormant in the 1870s. Um, the tax, during its, uh, during its active period uh, from 1862 on, had always been reauthorized in two-year increments. And the authorization was not a recreating the tax. It was just allowing it to operate. And, and and making people subject to it. And uh, yeah, the 1870 Act uh, enact, uh, authorized two years' worth of collections and, and application of the tax, and, and after that, in 1872, it was not reauthorized for the next period, and it wasn't reauthorized until 1894, um, when it was once again. And then in 1895, the Pollock Court, the Supreme Court, uh, ruled that 10 sections, only 10 sections, of the act were unconstitutional, um, and and uh, and then the, the it, it it didn't go dormant, but it wasn't collected at that point uh, for uh, uh, another um, uh, what 18 years until 1913, uh, when the 16th Amendment overruled the Pollock decision. The Pollock decision, the only effect the Pollock decision had was. It said, because these were the only issues that were brought to it, uh, brought to the court in the case, was uh, that dividends, the tax applied to dividends and rent was unconstitutional. And the reasoning of the court was, as I was saying earlier, what Pollock had argued, that, to, that the, the uh, dividends proceeded from his personal property, the stock he owned, and rent proceeded from personal property, the real estate uh, uh, for which the rent was collected. 
Uh, and the court ruled that in those two in the, those two applications, the income tax was not actually an income excise as was designed and intended, but became effectively a property tax and had to be apportioned. So the 16th Amendment overrules the Pollock decision, and it says that the tax can be collected without regard to apportionment, no matter what the source is. It, all it does, it doesn't change the apportionment rule at all. All it does a property a property tax for the com, for commercial use. He was getting uh, <clears throat> for excisable activities. Is that well? That, that's right. These were the, both both cases. The dividends and the rent that were involved were federally connected uh, activities, uh, and uh, so that that wasn't an issue. It's just that the court reasoned that because of the the source connection in those two forms of gain, uh, it amounted to a property tax. And the 16th Amendment says. You can't resort to the source any longer to shield otherwise taxable gains from the tax. Uh, that's all it does. And, and, and the Supreme Court said this over and over again after the 16th Amendment was adopted. Um, the uh, Treasury Department has said this. Uh, Congress has said this. There's no question about this. That, that's the only thing the 16th well, Amendment the, did the, is, the is previous. overruled Pollock and reset things back to how they were before the Pollock decision was made. You mean the early Congress, uh, the ones today may not know what they're talking about. No, 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 no. Congress today. Uh, I mean, look at, uh, look at uh, uh, Howard Zritsky, the, the legislative uh, attorney for the for Congress. Uh, oh, you still have faith in today's congressman. Okay. <laughs> I <agree. laughs> oh, well, no, I don't know about faith, but, but uh, certainly their, uh, their uh, uh, legislative legal historian, uh, in at least as late as, uh, 1979 was correctly reporting uh, the uh, limited meaning and effect of the 16th Amendment. Uh, so they, you know somebody knows uh, what's going on here, and the Supreme Court has never made any mistake about it. As recently as 1988, the court uh, acknowledged the uh, 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 Bruce decision's uh, analysis of the tax and the fact that the tax only applied to. Uh, earnings that uh, would have qualified for it prior to the 16th Amendment. You know, you know what I think I'm seeing is these congressmen and stuff, they, they know what's going on. They know the truth. And I think the reason the Supreme Court won't hear any more matters over it is because it's pretty much settled. I think it's back to the people to say, know your role. Oh, you're and, absolutely and, right. And, and, you're yeah. absolutely right. In fact, the, I mean, the Supreme Court has said outright that, you know, it's a, uh, it, it, it isn't a judicial matter, uh, and it is, in fact, settled. Uh, and, of course, the fact is, that the way the law is set up, anybody, any individual, you or me or anyone else, can uh, invoke the law as written and uh, and protect ourselves from the misapplication of the tax. It's a piece of cake. It's been being done by tens of thousands of people now for 13 years and running, and and uh, you know, billions of dollars have been returned to these folks who've learned the truth about the tax and and acted. Well, who's the where is the nexus? Is it the deception, the ignorance of the people, or is it just uh, does it start with a W four? You, you sign stuff you don't know what you're what you're well, talking well, about. Well, that's it's the ignorance of the people. I mean that that's that's an, just an example of it. Although a W four in and of itself doesn't make anyone subject to the tax. It it does unfortunately support some presumptions. Uh, yes. But, but signing one uh, in and of itself uh, is you know purely a prospective act. It doesn't. It doesn't change. Anything. Well, a key it doesn't thing make is anything into something that it isn't. 
a key thing you've touched on and taught many people is, is the word games, the word nerds. Sure. Uh, look at the wording. Uh, internal Revenue Service. It's a federal income tax. Okay, that's per, that's pretty good for most people. It's a tax on federal income, federal income tax. If you read the W-4, it starts out with the top left, federal income tax, and then it quits there. Next, it's just income tax after that. that's how the. But look at the words and, and, and the preface and how it was created. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wording, you know, the, the meaning of words is everything. Uh, uh, and and the system has you know gone to perhaps some trouble to obscure uh, some of the information that's critical to understanding the tax. Uh, I don't know. I never have concluded in all my years of you know study on this subject. I've never concluded that there is actually a um, a deliberate uh, uh, effort to conceal things uh, from people and to mislead. Although I will say this. Uh, if you study the uh, 1939 IRC, Internal Revenue Code, uh, and compare it to the 1954 Internal Revenue Code, which is the one we have now. It got renamed 1986 Code in 1986, but the same same code, uh, you know, with, well, with the paperwork some, reduction. some additions that have been made over the course of the years since 54, but, but uh, uh, it is, you know, all the 54 stuff is still with us, and we, we have a few more, but it just got renamed 86 for just to modernize the appearance of it, I think. But if you look at the difference between those two uh, internal revenue codes, uh, it is a world of difference. The, the 1939 code, uh, I feel comfortable generally going directly to that code when I'm interested in looking at the actual uh, uh, scope and, and uh, structure of the law. Um, uh, neither of the codes are the law. Uh, both of them are, are simply representations of the law. Uh, the actual statutes, if you really want to know the real law that is involved, you have to go to the statutes. But the 1939 code is a faithful representation of the statutes. It's, I go there uh, rather than to the statutes uh, whenever possible because the uh, 1939 code was actually a really, really good job of consolidating and organizing the existing uh, uh, statutory material. Yes, as we discussed, it was just right before the deception, too. Yeah, it was It was a really good job. And, and so you, you can go there with confidence that you're going to see, uh, you know, the truth, more or less, and, uh, and, and have it in a, a very accessible form, uh, easier to get at and, and to, to see than, than to have to go to the statutes directly. Um, Always, if it's a critical issue, by the way, anyone listening, critical issue, always go to the statutes anyway. But you can start at the code, at the 1939 code, and, and get a good uh, uh, grasp of what it is you're going to be looking for and looking at. Uh, but the 1954 code, on the other hand, is anything but. It's the exact opposite. Uh, this is a light to dark dichotomy. The 1954 code, the current code, uh, it, it appears to be an effort to um, obscure, conceal, uh, uh, confuse. Um, uh, it, it, it is it is a, an exercise in deception, and and it is so much so that one has to wonder if that one was not deliberately designed to mislead. Well, if you notice in the Internal Revenue Service, or any time you see cases about this matter, any time the Internal Revenue Service wants to get answer a question, they keep going back further and further and further to the original statutes. Uh, I, for, forgive me for disagreeing, but I don't, uh, 
I, I see them dodging the statutes every chance they get. They don't even like people understanding that the statutes are actually the law. Well, was Title 26 even in the – I'm not familiar with it as you are. Was Title 26 mentioned in the 1939 and uh, 54 version? Uh, Title 26 uh, will have existed in uh, in 39, uh, virtually certain. Um, Do you see it misworded in the 54? The U.S. title at that point. Certainly in 54 it was, and the body of the – uh, the body of the 1954 IRC constitutes Title 26. Um, but Title 26 is not a positively enacted body of law. It's, it's, it, it is just the code. Um, it's a representation of the statutes. Well, for the audience who may, who may listen later, um, is there any truth to, like, somebody had to write 1954 version or somebody had to interpret it the best they could. Is that truly going to a Canadian company that does, does that? I have no idea about that. Uh, it wouldn't make any difference even if it did. I mean, anybody is okay. capable of being hired and having, you know, a big pile of 77,000 pages of crap put on their desk and said, you know, put this all in a single volume form. It doesn't matter who's, in a nutshell, your opinion, uh, it doesn't matter who interpret it, interprets it, what, what does it really stem from? If you go to the original source or what well, do Origin of the law. I mean, the law uh, is the statutory enactments, the, the statutes at large. And so, if you actually want to see the law, and 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 it's easy to do this. The uh, both IRCs include in their contents uh, derivation tables. The derivation tables tell you what actual statute is being uh, relied on as the source material for the section of code that you're looking at. So if you want to look at, at you know IRC uh, or you know, 26 USC 7602, uh, if you go to the uh, derivation table for the code, uh, you can look up 7602 and it will tell you what statute uh, it's derived from. And actually, in the case of the 1954 slash 1986 code, what it will refer you to is the 1939 code because it's just a derivation that's derived from the 1939 code. And then you go to the 1939 code, and you go to its derivation table, and look up whatever section the 1954 derivation table had told you to go at to go to, which will be the you know it'll be a different one, 7602. And in fact, let me uh, just grab the tables out, and I'll read off an example of that. Um, that's actually a real example. Um, what do they put a little in parentheses, or it's a footnote at the end of their uh, no, no, it's explanation? No, no, the entire table. I mean, it's, it's the you know the, the total uh, the total table that was published in uh, in uh, 1992 by the uh, uh, Joint Committee on Taxation uh, runs oh, 115, 160, 117 pages because uh, there are a lot of sections. Um, anyway, here's an example. Uh, this is from page 95 of the uh, of the uh, derivation table package. Uh, 1954 code section 7459B is derived from the 1939 code section 1117B. So knowing that, then we go to the derivation tables for the 1939 code, and we find 1117. So not only did the tables change, they didn't copy and paste it exactly, the word in it changed as well. Uh, 
yes, the wording absolutely changed. Now we go we go back to the uh, to the 1939 code table and look up 1117B, which we were just told is the source in, uh, the source uh, material for current section 7459B, and we find that that is actually derived from the 1924 Internal Revenue Act of June 2nd, uh, Act Section 907B. So that's the thing you have to go look at to actually see what the law is. That is. Well, I'll tell you what, I believe if you're going to perpetrate a fraud, the best way to get out of a lie, full of Hillary Clinton, is to say, well, I didn't say it said 117B exactly. I put it under this new statute and <laughs> definition, so I didn't lie about it. It's yeah. clearly different than the original. Yeah, um, yeah that certainly is a way of... Uh, of uh, making things un, uh, apparently unnecessarily complicated. One has to have suspicions when you know you're dealing with that kind of. Uh, but is it, don't you see what I'm saying? If they if they would have said in the 1954 version, this section of 111 something of the 1939 version says exactly this, they could have been someone could have been uh, held accountable for possibly fraud. Um. Yes, that's absolutely right. The derivation tables were necessary, uh, but the larger question to me is why change it at all? You had a very perfectly good uh, version exactly. in the 1939 1117B section. Why didn't you just leave that exactly the way it was? But they didn't. They 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 changed it considerably and made it uh, much less uh, easily understood. If you look at the current version of that section, you will be misled in many, many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, you will end up being misled as to what the law requires or provides for. Um, when you, if you actually go, as we just did, and discover that 907B from the 1926 Act or the 1924 Act is actually the, the actual law, and look at that, you are likely to find that that language is completely different or significantly different than what the 1954 language is, and that you will have been misled and uh, and will have uh, been led in well, a misunderstanding uh, by the current language. Well, while you're on the topic, uh, the Internal Revenue Code, I think in the – which one – is that the one that's been changed to fit an agenda more than anything? What, what are the, some others, if any? Uh, the BATF has pretty much stayed the same. Uh, yeah, and, and, and it, it is um, – you, you, you're very possibly correct that the that the IRC is is the most manipulated or amongst the most manipulated uh, bodies of of um, code uh, that is out there. Now I can't say that I you know spend anywhere near as much time on um, in other areas of the law as I do in the, the tax area. So. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily equipped to say that there are no others that are uh, equally uh, uh, manipulated and and uh, and uh, uh, you know capitalized on uh, the way the IRC is, but I suspect that there are none. Um, yeah, I, I do. I, I do end up in other areas of law, you know, a fair bit more than most people do, and uh, and I've seen nothing to suggest that any other area of law is is as uh, manipulated. Although you know, it's possible that that uh, in Title 28 uh, gets Title 28 definitely gets messed with a bit. The the banking title is uh, messed with a bit uh, as well. I, I don't think as frequently as the IRC, but 
but uh, more frequently than it's, it's big. It's big business, uh, Peter. Yeah, this, yeah. Uh, even with the uh, tax representatives that tell you what the tax is and their beliefs, heck, it even changes on the accountants' beliefs too. If you look at their little policy manuals or their sure. their tax yeah. help forms, it even changes then. And and I, I was just curious about Pollock. Do you think he was some? Uh, I mean, it, was it hard for him to understand back in those days, or do you think it was some kind of big banking interest trying to manipulate the system? Oh, pa, no, Pollock. Pollock was, I think, a legit. Uh, character he he had his theory and uh and and you know there there are, uh, his theory is not a wild theory uh frankly um, uh you know his basic argument was uh, to tax the fruit is to tax the tree and uh, there's a lot to be said for that um, joseph uh, can i get you to hang on for one second yeah yeah thank you Hey, sweetie, I'm on the show. Okay. Um, no, I, I think that Pollock was was a legit guy. I think that he um, uh, he had a sincere argument, and uh, uh, he, I think he was uh, operating as a test case, uh, certainly, which the Supreme Court and the system does now and again. It has to be borne in mind that that what Pollock was arguing was the effort to defend the um, the the deeply corrupt uh, but very very widespread um, uh, uh, profit uh, taking that was going on uh, from uh, public resources. The Lincoln administration uh, was the one that initiated the the massive railroading subsidies and. Uh, and uh, uh, the subsequent administrations, predominantly Republican administrations, uh, continued in the same vein. And the and the railroaders who had ha- had handed to them this this phenomenal uh, pile of uh, of subsidy benefit uh, very quickly recognized the opportunity to uh, buy members of Congress into the scheme and gain a substantial amount of political protection and the opportunity to really, really milk well, the system. Well, there's another that, scenario. There's that, another scenario running parallel there, too. You got uh, you mentioned railroads. What I'm seeing going on, it's, uh, it's a commercial activity where the railroads are going to be going through uh, state, interstate commerce. Also, that was a kind of a, a prerequisite to that. Yeah. Um, all in all, uh, throughout that period, the, the uh, Congress became completely corrupt. Uh, I mean, not every last member of Congress, of course, but a large number of the of the well-established members of Congress were railroad investors. Uh, they had been they had been given railroad uh, stock uh, in order to make them a party to the to the project and to protecting it, and um, and it was a it had become an enormous scandal. You've heard of the Credit Mobilier uh, scandal uh, from that period of time. Um, it was an enormous scandal. Uh, it, it probably dwarfed the um, the SNL affair of the late uh, 1980s uh, in terms of dimension, and uh, um, and far more significant because it involved far more members of the United States government, um, <clears throat> and people were were uh, you know very very upset, which is why in 1894 the Cleveland administration tried to revive the tax so as to get at some of this money. Um, but Pollock was defending these entrenched um, uh, robber baron fat cats 
who had been enjoying the benefit of all of this and all of their uh, uh, you know congressional uh, defenders and, and co-conspirators. Um, so uh, his case was one that was you know he was on the side of you know the status quo. Uh, he was the guy who was protecting the this this huge corrupt uh, machine, uh, it, which was you know deeply in, in, embedded into the into the government uh, from being taken down. And so, uh, you know, it's no surprise that, uh, that the court saw things his way. <laughs> uh, the members of the court at that point had been appointed by the people who were uh, the investors and, and uh, you know, participants in all of the scandal uh, that was going on. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that Pollock was legit, you know, in that, in that sense. But at the same time, I think that, that his case was a was – a, um, uh, if not a setup, it was a, an opportunistic uh, thing. So Pollock was an in, so Pollock was kind of an insider. He knew what was going he on. Was, he, I think well, certainly, also, certainly he was in this sense. He was an investor in Farmers Loan and Trust. Farmers Loan and Trust was a railroad investing operation, among among a few other things. But it had uh, it had um, uh, a bunch of railroad uh, interests, and that's what. Well, it, it almost looked like on. he had a. It almost looked like he did it also because. Uh, it can become confusing if the powers that be know what the excise tax is, and they keep hitting you with all these taxes, and you don't know what the heck's going on. It's like I got to do this, I got to hire an accountant. What, what, what am I liable for exactly? Yeah. And it becomes frustrating on Pollock's side too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in his case, he was he was just trying to stop uh, Farmers Loan and Trust from paying its own um, uh, demanded income taxes because that would reduce the overall size of the dividends that that. Um, people like Pollock would get, and so he said, "No, you can't pay the tax. Um, I, I'm gonna, I, I want you enjoined from paying the tax before you distribute dividends to people like me, uh, because it'll cut down on my dividends." And uh, you know, if, if, if that part was perhaps a stretch uh, on the court's part, uh, by the way, to make the uh, to make the leap. No, hold on. The people, the people who are paying Pollock, he wanted them to he wanted uh, hold them up. Not he wanted them to to, to not pay the tax. Uh, before distributing his dividends. Okay. Now, now that brings me into the forties with the employers. This is this is a pretty good system if if, if people understand it. Sure, it's a good tax. Uh, it's a great tax. In the nineteen in the nineteen ninety six uh, version, I believe it was the uh, what was that called? Paperwork Reduction Act that you mentioned. That it was kind of the four, the fifty four version was kind of tweaked. Uh, the 54 tax became the 1980. It was just renamed the 1986 tax. There was no change that took place. Well, when was the 90? When was the Paperwork Reduction Act? Uh, that was 1970 something, 74, 75. Okay, I'm confused on the timeline. It's like something happened in the 86 or 96. I can't remember. Well, you know, in 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 the late 90s, there was the. Um, uh, the tax t- Taxpayer Protection Act went into effect, or was adopted, and uh, and that was a result of um, uh, a series of hearings that took place in Congress, talking about abusive behavior uh, on the part of the IRS, that had reached a point of notoriety such that Congress actually held hearings. I'm glad they cut it back then, right? <laughs> well. You know, it didn't end up meaning a whole lot. We had the creation of the taxpayer, <laughs> taxpayer advocacy office or taxpayers advocate office. Um, you know, a couple of other changes. The, the, the system that was was prohibited from 
referring to people as tax protesters and things like that, you know. Uh, some very modest uh, cosmetic uh, changes for the most part. Um, uh, not not anything that made any big difference in anyone's life, I think. Well, hell, it's a double confusion. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you when you got um, one of those women that just sent you a random email last year. She was really fighting against the uh, Internal Revenue Service. Might have been one that was involved with Lois Lerner. I can't remember, but how do you tell people who are not liable for a tax and don't know it that they're, you know, they're they're protesting something that they shouldn't be protesting? Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's tough because the uh, misunderstood tax uh, seems so pernicious and so uh, evil uh, that it, you know, everyone uh, with you know a righteous mind uh, is is opposed to it, and and the natural. Um, uh, a response to that is to you know, call for the abolition of the income tax or the repeal of the 16th Amendment or abolishing the IRS or whatever, um, any of those things. And, you know, it's understandable when uh, you consider that these folks don't actually understand, you know, what they're asking for. Uh, I, I just did a, a, tweeted a, a thing about Gary Johnson and his mistaken call for the abolition of, of, or the repeal of the 16th Amendment. Um he says that because he has no idea what the 16th Amendment did or what repealing it would do. The fact is, repealing the 16th Amendment would just mean that the uh, the robber baron class, the coupon clippers, uh, that that uh, that enjoy the dividends from federally connected investments and the rent from federally subsidized land uh, uh, control, would no longer pay the tax because that's all the 16th Amendment did was bring those activities under the umbrella of the tax. Nothing else would change. Yeah. The the application of the tax to, you know, the to to a worker who's just, you know, working at a federally connected job, like, you know, a guy in the post office or whatever, they'd still be on subject to the tax. Nothing else would change. So this call on Gary Johnson's part is just lunacy. He's talking about well, receiving the one percent of their tax burden. That's all he's speaking he of calling speaking for. Speaking of Alex Jones uh, yellow news. I was listening to Alex Jones recently talking about Gary Johnson. They're doing some more research on him, and uh, apparently he's he's like the modern day uh, evil version of Ross Perot to take votes away from Donald Trump. He's he's more he's more of a Hillary version if you look at it. Gun grabbing his uh, his vice president uh, vice presidential candidate as uh, yeah, a, a gun grabber. And, yeah, he's a pretty pretty uh, unseemly choice for a guy that wants to run on the libertarian ticket. But Gary Johnson, unfortunately, has been you know being exposed more and more as not himself belonging on the libertarian ticket. Well, well, what's bad is Hillary's been exposed for 40 years, and how did she get here? Yeah, yeah, nobody has uh, uh, knocked her off her pedestal yet successfully, but... Uh, oh, it, may, it may take an act of God to do that. Or an act of Trump. May, an act of Trump, yeah. An act of God, what I mean, you know, she's still, I think she's still a woman, unless she, she's a reptile, like some people believe, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, she's 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 hacking on. Uh, well, she, she can probably do a uh, uh, an interview now without hacking up a lung. Yeah, that's what my that's what Doreen was telling me that she saw her on the on a news show the other day. Uh, uh, actually, unable to finish a statement uh, because of uh, of that uh, uh, medical issue arising. Well, not only is it so bad there, Trump would destroy her in a one-on-one debate. But this next debate coming up is going to be, uh, I think, uh, 30 minutes sections for each candidate. And 
uh, Trump Trump will not be there when she's doing hers, and she won't be there when he's doing his. Yeah, I, uh, so. you know, I, 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 I'm, I am, I supported Trump during the primary camp, uh, candidacy or campaign because um, the rest of the pack uh, was so disturbing. Uh, the rest of the Republicans that were vying for the nomination. Uh, even Rand, even even Rand Paul. Yeah, well, the, you know, Rand Paul was the was the most uh, uh, palatable of of all of them, but even he was tainted with some uh, bad uh, policy statements, and he was had proven himself so wishy washy on some. Well, he and Ted Cruz yeah. talked about. And he and Ted Cruz kept talking about the same thing about the IRS, and Ted Cruz and all his people on the Twitters were like. I'm going to make the IRS so simple you can write it on a postcard. I'm like, hell, you already can. Already, that's right. That's already been done. <laughs> it's called a purported return. Just put the elements you need in there, and it's good. But, um, but I supported Trump in the primaries. I, I you know, I and I'm certainly um, sort of supporting him now, or willing to to be supportive, uh, because the alternative of Hillary is so absolutely. Uh, uh, intolerable. Uh, voting, if that woman takes office, um, it, it, well, is, it is literally time to. to well, you and you and I, you and I might see what you and I see what's going on. Let me explain it this way. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of this, not George Soros, but who's that big rich guy that always shows up when he wants to bitch? Uh, anyway, he talks about release your tax returns, Donald Trump. Show us your tax returns, uh, and. Uh, and and you got Hillary Clinton on the other side with this uh, Clinton Foundation scandal, yeah, right. and all they're worried about is the tax return. That tells you how ingrained this whole tax return thing is is on the, the American uh, public. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, Hillary is is so dangerous that uh, I would uh, I would nearly you know even even if Trump were Hitler, I'd have to give some thought to. Just before he turns, right? Just before he t- turns. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't want to. I don't want to say something. Uh, yeah, I mean outrageous. this is this will be all over the news. Hillary media. Hillary is uh, is a th- she is a real threat, and she is a known threat. Uh, Trump uh, disturbs me hugely on a lot of different uh, a lot of different issues, um, and and his ability to uh, think clearly is is questionable, and his ability to articulate himself uh, in a sensible fashion is is definitely challenged. But he is, it is not known that he will uh, do uh, profoundly harmful things. It is known. Well, how, how, many, articulate, how many articulate people are, uh, have gotten in the street to hell in a handbasket? Yeah, uh, it, it's a big mistake to, to compare Trump uh, unfavorably to past presidents and, because he shoots off at the, at the, at the lip and, and uh, you know, has uh, some baggage from his past and whatever else may be true. Uh, we've had people in office many times. I mean, compare to Bill Clinton, for for goodness sake. We've had people in office many times who were slicker presenters. They, they you know, they 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 uh, they uh, uh, handled themselves better, uh, but they didn't. But their performance uh, was uh, terrible, and their and their pasts, their their own personal histories and so forth, were terrible. So uh, it is an absolute. It's absolutely unfair to. Uh, attempt to but, in one aspect, Trump I'm seeing Trump as what people Bulgarian. said back in the old days. People used to say we need a farmer, you know, people, the everyday working man in there. And Trump is the best non-politician, I think, uh, we were seeing today. It could could well be the case. I mean, certainly he's the one who did it, and so it could be argued that he was the only one who could do it. Uh, no one else <clears> is 
no one else, you know, rose and, and accomplished the same thing. Uh, now, you know, that may be only because he's got the money to finance his campaign and all that. Uh, but uh, he also, you know, pushed buttons that uh, a lot of people found uh, very attractive. And uh, well, now that I think about it, he is today's Ross. He is the Ross Perot today without the uh, Independent Party. Uh, Trump. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, in a way he is. He's he's a populist and uh and you know, he's an outsider and uh the difference is that he's captured uh, a a major, you know, one of the two major parties nominations and uh and frankly I think that that um, while I think that he will not do well in debates because he does not uh, know his material very well and he does not articulate himself very well. Um, I think that he actually has a very good chance of winning the presidency, and I'd rather see that than see Hillary there. So, uh, yeah. Well, you go we don't have to get Donald. too political. I don't want to. I was going to stick on the Clinton uh, Clinton era for a minute in the late nineties. I think it was when the, when this whole OMB paperwork reduction came out. It was the ninety six. Uh, you said it was in the seventy nine and eighties, but something—I think something happened in ninety six. But I won't be specific on the timeline. I'm going to ask you about the OMB number, this mysterious yeah. OMB conspiracy everybody talks about. Could that be? Could the OMB thing be for those payers to notice when they are actually receiving federal income? Um, well, the, there's been some misunderstanding about the OMB number thing. I have a I have a page posted at my misunderstandings page about this. Um, that uh, actually, you know, did the represents the research uh, into the history of the relevant OMB number and you know where it's at and why it is what it is. There's some misunderstanding about the the requirement for OMB numbers. Um, the the uh, specifically uh, a number is required to uh, in in circumstances where certain kinds of information uh, or or where information is going to be used. In certain particular ways, and the um, tax return is uh, not uh, one of those uh, uses in the sense that the people tend to think of it. Uh, give me a quick moment here. I want to go to that page and uh, and uh, see what I've got uh, posted. So the so the presumptions so the presumptions today is merely a company sending in the employer identification number. I was just wondering if that OMB was applicable to say, hey, this, even though you're qualified to receive federal income, the only federal income you'll have will be will have this OMB number on it. Well, the thing the thing about an OMB number is that it, the, the 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 law under the Paperwork Reduction Act requires uh, forms that are collecting information for particular purposes to um, have a valid OMB number. Uh, here's here's the page that I have up on this and. Let me just read. Um, That's what I'm asking you, though. Wouldn't a federal a federal document or federal payments have an OMB number on it? No, not necessarily, because the because the okay. the OMB uh, it, it was 1980, by the way, it was the Paperwork Reduction Act. Um, uh, here, here's what the here's what the Act says. Um, the Act prohibits the government and its agencies from attempting to collect more information than is actually required by the letter of the law. Uh, under that act, uh, section uh, 602.101 was created in the Code of Federal Regulations for Title 26 in 1985 when the IRS finally comp- complied with its mandate to list all of the information collection requests, forms, that is, required by any given code section, necessary to satisfy the legal requirements of that code section. Uh, and I have posted a table. 
showing the legal authority for the IRS to request and demand information. So that was for federal income. It wasn't for all the, all payments. That's correct. That's that. Well, this particular this particular section related to um, uh, income uh, demands. And and so the point is that there there has to be a it, when a law requires the collection of certain kinds of information or requires the provision, you know, someone to provide certain types of information. Um, the uh, there has to be an OMB number, and that number um, is goes on a, a table that says what the statutory authority is for the information collection requirement, um, and that's all it does. Um, and in the case of uh, of uh, uh, the uh, OMB number that is on uh, a 1040, um, it's because of a reference to uh, section 1.1-1 of the um, Code of Federal Regulations where the initial obligation of the tax uh, is provided for. And, and that involves a requirement for certain kinds of information to be collected. Um, and, that, that, and that's all that it does. Uh, so there's a broad misunderstanding of the purpose and function of the um, OMB requirement and how it applies to the tax. Um, There's a lot of gurus uh, lately, and people I know people have been hitting you up about this. Uh, uh, I'll just say Carl. I won't say his last name. But uh, I'm going to bring it all home for him. Uh, like he has told people in a different form, whatever you report on a W-2, whatever you believe it is, that's what it is. If you say you had this much income, you had this much income, who are they to argue with it? They can't well, tell you how much you had. Yeah, not so on a, not on a W two, but if you put that on a ten forty and sign it under penalty of perjury, then that's absolutely true. No one's going to argue. Yeah, I meant the ten forty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No one's going to argue with that. I mean, that's that's it's absolutely true. That's that's one of the fundamental uh, misunderstandings or or ignorant elements of ignorance that is exploited by the system. It it gets people to to declare their earnings on that form. Uh, in a context in which only taxable income is to be reported, and to sign it under penalty of perjury saying that it's true. And once that's been done, the system is absolutely not going to try and dissuade you or argue with your assertion. They're going to say, oh, well, that's wonderful. Now I guess that means you owe us a tax. And they're going to they're going to go ahead and collect that tax. So, absolutely. And it's on you, too. I mean, if you didn't read it and didn't know all the elements there, I mean, there, the same time, there's ways. Just yeah. as you say, if you pay attention, if you read and understand the law, and only say what's actually true, uh, which you know really only requires saying what you actually know to be true. <laughs> uh, things run completely differently, um, completely differently. That's the that's the source of liberation. Uh, knowing when to say no is uh, a big part of uh, dealing as a responsible citizen with government. Knowing when to say no, it's very very important. Government really wants the, to say yes to all kinds of things. I I, I recently you know went back and read that. I recently went back and read the W-4 again just to uh, confirm. There's a lot of good information in there about, you know, you can be, you can put on there that I don't expect to have any tax liability this year, and you can put exempt if you want to. I mean, there's little key things like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, it still doesn't keep the, the payer from uh, releasing false information. Well, Joseph, uh, this has been a, a, a very, very pleasant talk, and uh, 
and uh, I would like to do it again with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. Uh, You're very busy. Do you have two more minutes? Uh, two more minutes, absolutely. I want to know if you wanted to go into the Section 83 debacle we keep saying. Oh, well, that's complete nonsense. Section 83 was uh, added to the tax in 1969. Um, it obviously is not the you know basis for anything significant related to the nature of the income tax. A brief synopsis. What does it say in some... And, and what it was, by the way, Section 83 was a provision intended to address the fact that at that time, in 1969, people had begun getting compensation in the form of stock options. And the, the law did not successfully provide uh, prior to that for dealing with those stock options as the kind of gains that they actually are and, and, and dealing with how to calculate them and, and uh, apply the tax to them. Section 69 or Section 83 does just that. That's all it does, uh, because it, it, the language of it is, uh, you know, uh, in a uh, of a sort that that um, uh, people uh, imagining people who don't understand the tax might, um, you know, be able to manipulate that language in their own minds to make it look to have broader significance than it does, has led to some folks uh, dreaming up. Um, the theories that just by them, just the the, the 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 timing or age of Section 83 by itself makes clear that the theories are complete craziness. I mean, they're craziness to propose that that a section that only appeared in in 1969 is somehow fundamental to the application of the tax um, is it's lunatic. I mean, this is a tax that predated that enactment by 67 years or 100, 107 years. So Section 83 is kind of their way of saying what you're saying. It must be applicable to the tax one is liable for. Well, 83, Section 83 says if, you got, if, you are, if you're getting paid in the form of stock options, uh, you have to calculate what, the, what, the, the, what kind of a gain that represents for you at the end of the taxable period. And uh, and here's how you do it, and 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 that's that's what it's for. Um, I have a page on that subject up. I, I guess I, I'm going to close by encouraging everybody to go to um, go to the sitemap at lostrisons.com. Go to lostrisons.com/sitemap.htm. Capital S, capital M, but all one word. And the third entry down on that sitemap page uh, is titled "Various Tax Protesters Slash Tax Honesty Misunderstandings of the Law." Uh, my paper on section the section 83 fallacy is uh, what it's the very number one item <laughs> on the list on that misunderstandings page as it happens. Yeah, LostHorizons.com has laid everything out pretty much superbly. It's, it's one of the most best in-depth research uh, sites I've ever seen. I appreciate that, um, and I, I, I hope that people will will go and you know look at that page on section 83 and, and get squared away on the subject. And, uh, well, Lord willing, next time we can debunk the trolls and uh, all this absolutely people in jail and all that. And I'd like to discuss more on the Attorney General. That's really good when you get the Attorney General to prosecute crimes in their, their state. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, I, I wish it would happen. Uh, so we're, we're working at it, but it's uh, so far we're getting the cold shoulder from uh, from Michigan's guy. And it's very, very disappointing. Yeah, not enough people are complaining like the water situation. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. Well, Joseph, it's been a great pleasure, and uh, and I look forward to uh, doing this again with you. 
All right. Thank you, Peter. God bless you. God bless you, too. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.